we don't have to believe that everything is going to turn out okay, but we do know that when we show up, things change. Right. Welcome to a special quarantine episode of Bike Talk on the KPFK livestream. My name is Don Ward, and we have Nick Richard, co-host for Bike Talk. We have a couple guests today. We actually have Glenn Bailey, and with us right now is Jessica Craven, who is a parent, an activist, PTA president at Mount Washington Elementary School. That's impressive. An indivisible leader, a co-founder of Feminists in Action. We're going to ask you about all these groups, and there's a few more here. Let's see, a member of the NELA Northeast LA Climate Collective and Climate Hawks Vote, the author of Chop Wood, Carry Water, a Daily Actions Email, and a newly elected member of the LA County Democratic Party Central Committee in uh, District 51. That's that's quite a resume right there, yeah. so we're going to have to talk <laughs> about all of this. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect you to read it all. <laughs> we're... Um, you know, that's, that's amazing. So let's, let's get right to business. Let's talk about, I mean, you're an activist. You're not necessarily a bike rider, but you're in our, you're in our realm. You, you are fighting for all of the things that, that we fight for basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I am I would, I would say, first of all, I'm so thrilled to uh, be on the show. So thank you for having me. Thank you. And, uh, we have such extraordinary circumstances right now, and it's nice to it's nice to get my mind off of the you know immediate situation and and uh, think about sort of our greater goals in the bigger picture right now. So thanks for having me. Yeah, um, yeah. I uh, I guess I would say first and foremost a climate activist at this point. So that has kind of uh, wound me up in the same circles as you guys and as and as all the bike activists. Just um, maybe through a more circuitous route, but yeah, I have ended up uh, putting a lot of my focus, I, I do a lot of focus on federal legislation, but more and more, I think like so many of us have realized that uh, we have a lot more power at the state and city level, and also there is just, in some senses, more, even more urgency, or uh, an equal amount of urgency on the city level to sort of make the changes um, that we need uh, so that we can continue to live in Los Angeles, so that we can continue to be healthy in Los Angeles, um, and, and certainly so we can address climate change both on a, on a, on a micro level and a macro level. Just uh, what happens here can happen everywhere, and, and very little is happening here that, that should right now. <laughs> Not to be a downer from the beginning, but, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. And one of the things that, that uh, I mean, right on the, right on the day after the uh, the lockdown, right? They're calling it the Stay Safer yeah. at Home initiative by Gavin Newsom. One of the things that people I'm seeing in my social media feed are are saying, you know, there's there's less, it's been a few days now, but there's been less car traffic. And I mean, even I've seen it, I don't know if it's because of the weather, but the skies seem less polluted already. No. Yeah. Is that, is, that, is that just my mind playing tricks on me, or is this really happening? Well, no, no. Clearly, do you not get, uh, you know, four different uh, air quality apps giving you notifications every day? Because I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and no, the, the air quality is extraordinary. I mean, it's, 
it obviously has not risen um, above, you know, the 50 mark, which is where it starts to get too moderate as opposed to good. It's been for at least a week just um, spectacular, and it's, it's such a, you know, you'll hear people say, like even at the AQMT, where I go, I go every month to their meetings as sort of a gadfly now, um, with a friend from the New York Climate Collective, and they, they will say, I mean, they, they are... There are many people who will say, well, Los Angeles is just always going to have bad air quality because of the, you know, because of geography. And um, we certainly uh, have just proven that just with a, with a week of, you know, cut traffic, cut air, you know, also the airplane traffic is just, a, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, a huge contributor to air quality problems. So, so you cut the flights, you cut the cars, you cut gardeners out running, uh, you know, leaf blowers, which are, you know, almost overtaking cars as the worst contributors to air quality really? problems. And, oh, yeah. By 2021, they will overtake cars. Wow. Leaf blowers, wow. they're a whole... Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that because uh, they do, like, you know, when when the leaf when the leaf blower was, was in my apartment building, I, I always had to shut the window because you could just smell it so heavy. Yeah. And yeah. it seems stronger than you know, standing on a street, like yeah. a busy street. They're terrible for you. They are, um, I mean, and this is where all of this stuff starts to get sort of interwoven because they, they are, um, you know, I started thinking about them, I don't know, I, I have friends who are activists who have been thinking about this a lot longer than I have, but when I was on the Neighborhood Council here, I was on the Orlando Seco Neighborhood Council for two years and I joined the, um, or the Neighborhood Council Sustainability Alliance, and their big thing was leaf blowers. It's all they talked about. Well, that in the tree canopy. Um, and as I started doing the research, you know, an hour of a gas-powered leaf blower emits the same amount of uh, carbon monoxide uh, uh, or CO2, sorry, uh, as a car driving, a small car driving 1,200 miles. Wow. So, yeah, so they not only do that, but they also, uh, the particulates that they blow into the air are uh, carcinogens. Uh, you know, they're blowing fecal matter into the air. They're blowing all kinds of, you know, the, the lead from truck brakes and all kinds of other stuff getting blown up into the air. Um, and then there's the noise pollution, which is a whole other thing. But they're really kind of appallingly bad for everybody, um, and particularly the people who are using them. So I, I think Right, right. Thing. I was... I, yeah, yeah I would see those guys, and they don't—they don't have any masks on usually, yeah. or yeah. yeah, yeah. And even if they do, those those masks are not going to really protect them from most of the particulates. So they're they're terrible um, for for the people using them, and and whole, you get into this whole equity thing where they've got electric ones now, but they're they're more expensive. They require uh, extra batteries, and and we have been trying at my daughter's school at Mount Washington Elementary. We've been trying to get an electric leaf blower for our guys goes every single day and uh and, and it's it's something that is a super privileged you know i mean it's in a privileged neighborhood we we barely can afford to do it it's expensive it, it comes out to you know it's a thousand dollars when you put all the equipment together and the belt and so of course they're still using the gas-powered ones they're effective and they're cheap they are also yeah. illegal and have, have been for 20 years uh but the city doesn't enforce it so that's cool <laughs> right, I actually did go through the process of trying to stop the the leaf blowing in my apartment um, in the courtyard because it just yeah. was awful. And uh, 
yeah, they will not enforce it. It's kind of crazy. No. So, no, um, they won't, and if, they, if, if you do get them to enforce it, 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 it ends up being a fine uh, on the homeowner and on the person using the leak water. So, of course, you don't want to do that. So, it's a, it's kind of an impossible situation. So, but, you, yeah, you said anyway. you're, you're, you go to these AQMD meetings, the Air Quality Management District, and how often does that happen? So they happen um, every month. Uh, they are on the, the third or the fourth Friday of the month. They, they now coincide with the Fire Hill Fridays, unfortunately. That's how I sort of remember when they happen. They are um, exquisitely inconvenient. They are in Diamond Bar um, at 9 a.m. And uh, we started going with the Mila Climate Collective because there was, there was a particular measure they were considering and Sierra Club had asked us to come and sort of lend support and we went and we sat there for two hours and realized like there's no activists here there's nobody here but people in suits and these guys are making decisions and I, I don't want to imply that everybody there in the suit is a bad guy but they're, they're, we got up and spoke as moms and just as like people who had kind of dragged ourselves out of bed and gone to this thing and they were really shocked it was like they were seeing um, you know that they really were that we were there and then I you know I got into this thing with Bill Burke it was it was before it was, I think right after the holidays and he was talking about how this is the chair of the AQMD he had gone to the airport and had to sit in this terrible traffic you know in his car for an hour and a half and he was outraged by this so I suggested to him that he should try the the, the, the bus the, you know the one <laughs> bus and uh, he got really angry at me and started screaming at me for, you know, he was incensed that I would suggest that someone of his age, because he's 83, I think, uh, would take a bus. And, it, it, you know, we videotaped that, and that, that happened to go wow. you know, pretty viral. Yeah, it's just, interesting. I mean, and so, huh. and I, I'm not mad. It's just that she comes from a gold mining background. Like, she has no background in actual science, to my knowledge. And really, very few people on the board do. So, and not to do that, because there's, there's some good actors, but we, we've just been going to sort of, you know, to kind of get up there every month and say, we're really terrified about what's happening in L.A. and you're not doing enough. And like, uh, we no, had 80, so sorry, go on. No, tell, us, tell us a little bit about 8KNZ for our listeners to kind okay. of get a background on what that board, what that is, okay, what so that body is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a super expert, but it's the Air Quality Management District. Um, and they are a body of, I want to say, like, 12 to 15 board members, um, making most of the, they actually have a really kind of an enormous amount of power over, um, and this is the, the Southern California Air Quality Management District, so they, they make decisions about um, air quality in, in Southern California, and they have a lot of power over what happens at the ports, um, what happens at the airports. They've got power and budget um and they don't you know unfortunately always use those maybe as aggressively as, as some of us would like so uh they're a great place to go because you can because they're basically unfortunately seen as sort of a tool of industry and and obviously that's perhaps not because mm. yeah. that's that's who that's who can go to diamond bar in the middle of the day well, exactly, and that's what we say every time we, every time we go, we say, you know, this is, a, again, not to harp on the phrase, it's an equity issue, but, like, nobody can do this. Like, this is impossible. You guys have to make this. First of all, we're driving here, which we shouldn't be. I mean, just in terms of, like, 
this is not accessible by public transportation, although apparently there is a board member who takes the bus there, but it takes him, I think, three hours. It's, you know, oh, it's, it's not accessible in any way, shape, or form. So we, we repeat right. that every month, and we repeat, you know, the fact that they should make these meetings more uh, uh, easy to get to and perhaps at a different time of day that wasn't so, like, public comments or at 11 or so, so you have to sit around and... That's funny that you mentioned that because uh, it sounds very familiar as to what, uh, you know, in L.A., what like, bike activists go through when we go to the transportation committee meeting in room 1010 Wednesdays at 2 p.m. when, you know, you're at work or, you know, the police commission is at 9 p.m. and you have to sit yep. through all of their meeting before they get to the public comment part. Yep. So you're, you're you're not only going in early at a convenient time, you have to wait two hours through eye-gougingly boring stuff before yeah. you can get to the public comment time or your item. Yeah, so, so, sounds familiar. Even, yeah, it's not even it's and it's it's boring and it's also just it's so deeply inconsiderate to the people who have right. come. I mean, I I went to a board of supervisors meeting last Tuesday, which is where I apparently was actually exposed to. Uh, Somebody who might have been exposed to COVID nineteen, which is why I'm in I'm in quarantine right now. Like really, um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but we had all gone there. I don't know, maybe three or four hundred activists had shown up from Justice LA um, and other uh, you know criminal justice reform groups to talk about this. They're sort of working on a measure that's an alternative to incarceration. And there were something I don't know how many people three four hundred people signed up to make public public comment. That's amazing. And, uh, we, yeah, but we sat there, I got there at 8.30, and we, I had to leave at 12.30 because I had to go pick my kid up from school. And apparently other people sat there for another two hours before they were able to make public comment. And it was, it's frustrating. It really is. These meetings are not set up to really welcome the public in and hear what they have to say. And they should be. So, Jessica, and, you're, can I, or Don? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you're, the video that went viral of Burke, at the AQMD, that had yeah. to have made a big impact because all of a sudden this, you know, what to some people might be an obscure acronym, you know, became uh, kind of well-known and we began to understand that this is the group of people supposedly protecting our air and they don't care. And so yeah. you did this by just asking a question, you know, and, and having it be public. And, um, but, but what will happen now if every, you know, while everybody's quarantined, are we going to be, is that going to be a setback? It's a really good question. And I'm not sure any of us know the answer. I mean, one hopes that they will, I mean, what would be great is if they figured out a way to, um, you know, bring these meetings into, uh, online in a way that people can attend remotely, which is what they should be doing anyway. Um, I mean, what, one of the sort of possibly silver linings of this entire situation is, is us all learning that there are so many more things we can be doing remotely and therefore keeping cars off the road than we're currently doing. And, you know, people say, well, it can be done. My husband is working from home now and his boss has said it couldn't be done. Well, it can be right. he's doing it. So we have all these fewer cars on the road, which then enables bicyclists and pedestrians and scooter riders to get on the road um, more safely, and it's just a win-win for everybody. Um, 
So I, the answer to your question is I hope they will make those meetings available uh, remotely because otherwise I'm not sure. I don't know what it's going to look like for the next few months. I mean, activists will, will go back as soon as we can, but I'm, I'm not really sure when that is right now. Yeah, because you can physically show up at a place, but you can't always... How do you insert yourself into a online meeting when you don't have the website? Yeah, I don't know. True. That's, that's true. But, you know, there's other, there's other things. I mean, we're, we're creative, you know, those of us who, who do this kind of work. I mean, you just, you, you know, we, we, after we went to that meeting, we started a petition uh, to the AGMD. I mean, there's still petitions. There's still, you know, call, calling. I like to get a bunch of people to... Um, uh, call, you know, uh, city council members or a lot of um, California legislators. I like to I like to push a lot of calls to them on issues, usually climate related, that are important. That you know um, can continue as long as the legislature is, is continuing. And Lord knows the city council needs a lot of pushing right now, um, particularly in their you know the way they're dealing with our, our, our unhoused people population. You know, there's they, they need a lot of calls. <laughs> so you know, addiction. Um, issues and uh, tenant protections. So there's there's always a place to, to focus the activism, and there's always a channel for it. We just got to figure it out and, and redirect. So yeah, and and it's amazing that you were able to get three four hundred people to a meeting. That's powerful for these people um, to see a, to see a crowd like that. And hell yeah, take up all the public comment time. Take their yeah. You know, their lunchtime yeah, away or whatever, you know. Oh, yeah, they, they, those people. Well, first of all, that was Justice LA. That was, I, I showed up as just a member of that extraordinary okay. organization. I, I take no credit for that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, people know how to show up after, you know, well, I mean, a lot of these people have been doing this forever, and then some of us are later arrivals to the full-time activism thing. But we, we it's so intersectional. Um, you know, I see activists, at the you know board of supervisors meeting, but I also see at you know uh, abortion you know uh, choice protests and at you know gun you know common sense gun legislation big sales and you know we're all everywhere. We're you know it's a it's a this group of people understands at this point that you don't fix one thing without fixing all of it really. Um, and so that's why bikes you know fold in perfectly and beautifully. Uh, with all the rest of it. it, it's all one big sort of symbiotic uh, system, and right now it, it, it all needs to be fixed. So you can pull almost any string and start untangling the knot. <laughs> so, so that's what we're doing, you know, more or less. Talk a little bit about um, your election to the LA County Democratic Party Central Committee. So you, you ran? Did you run on a slate? I did. Basically, I did. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. did. Uh, Thanks for asking. Yeah, we just I just found out today that that's an official an official win now. It was uh we were still waiting because they're still counting votes. I, I suspected it was a win, but now it's official. So that's oh, great. Congratulations. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so um it seems kind of inconsequential in the scope of things at the moment, but it's hopefully at some point it will become, you know, relevant again. But yeah, so this is one of those uh really obscure things that is sort of on everybody's ballot every two years, but no one really knows what it is, and I don't think I used to know, but it's a... This is the first time I've noticed it. I'm sorry? It's the first time I've really been aware of it on the ballot for some reason. Yeah, but you know what? It has has been there, uh, which is funny, but it's it's been there for, for quite some time. So 
basically we're sort of elected seven people from every assembly district and and our job is to represent our district at the state democratic party level so um I had already been elected as an ADEM, which is a kind of a, a smaller version of that same thing. But the, the county committee, I think you just have a little bit more power and you get to vote on um, endorsements for things like uh, city council and uh, DA and, and things like that. So it's uh, it's like a small fish in a smallish pond, but it's a bigger fish than I, I was before, I guess. So, I mean, it's it's like, it's a step. You know, and, and what we're really trying to do is, is bring just more sort of insurgent activists into the party, um, which is not to say anything disparaging about anyone who is already there, but, um, you know, we just uh, want to bring some people who are on the ground doing the sort of uh, grassroots work and seeing uh, what needs to be done. So, you know, when I joined as an ADEM, I got elected to the uh, platform committee, and then I got put on the energy and environment subcommittee. And I got to, uh, with a couple of other members of that committee, push really, really hard to get the Green New Deal included in the California Democratic Party platform, which it wasn't, it was not going to be. And in fact, I got, we got, it was real tense. I mean, we had to fight very, very hard to get those words included. And when we finally did get them included, it was only with the proviso that they not be capitalized. So if you look at the California Democratic Party platform right now, under energy and environment, we say that we support a Green New Deal, but it's with lowercase uh, G and D. So you support a Green New Deal, not the Green New Deal. Yeah, oh, wow. right, exactly. Okay. So it's these kind of things which you would it, think we wouldn't still have to be fighting Right. We do. So, you know, and that's okay. It, it's that's incredible that you have to, like, Pester Democrats yeah. to do yeah. the right thing. You would you think they just are on board and like okay now now we need to go pester Republicans to do the right, right. thing. But no, we got to pester Democrats. Too. It's crazy. What? What? Which brings us right back to the, the city council, which is you know technically is largely almost completely Democratic, and yet you know right. is is uh, I can't even think of a way to put it politely, but it's just failing, you know, it's just not did, doing well. Did you endorse for the city council? So I was not yet on county central uh, committee when they were doing their endorsements, but I, I did uh, volunteer on NIPIA, uh, NIPIA campaign, mm-hmm. um, and I did a little work for Cindy Otteson, and I uh, canvassed for Lorraine Lundquist and did a ton of canvassing for um, Dan Brotman, who ran... Who won? Uh, they're all sort of all kind of climate champions running in, in their city council seats, and I don't know that any of them got the county central committee endorsement. But I think those all all went to incumbents, which is something that you know, in my own small way, I intend to fight back against. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's great. Yeah, I'd like to look up whether they endorsed uh, Lorraine Lundquist's opponent, who was a basically a Republican. Uh, That's interesting. I, I did see. I saw a bunch yeah. of Democrats endorsing him, and I was like, how can these people? Well, that was people on the city council, right? Yeah, I think uh, the was... entire city council endorsed John Lee, which is nuts, but I, I'm pretty which, sure. Well, Mike Bonin didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah there, was, there, was, there was maybe like five names. It wasn't the whole council, but it was still sort of shocking to see somebody like Mitch O'Farrell, who... Yeah you know, is supposed to be 
liberal Democrat, and then also David Rue. Um, yep. I think he, yeah, I could be wrong about that, but I think he endorsed, I could be wrong about that. But it was just oh, like some familiar names on there, and including, uh, you know, like county supervisor, I think somebody endorsed John Lee that was a Democrat. It was just like, why are you guys doing this? Yeah. And I don't understand Martin. this. Mary Martinez. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mary Martinez. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, John, uh, right after the election, the news comes out that, uh, you know, John oh, Lee yeah. is wrapped up in this FBI corruption scandal yeah. with Mitch Englander. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wow, Some, somebody in the, I guess, in the, where, where does the indictment happened it happened on january 16th but it happened in la county superior court or where but they kept it a secret for almost two months until the election was over and i was like who was involved in that decision yeah yeah Yeah. well and now you see i mean you see i actually vote counts uh tonight um she is now trailing john lee by 700 votes so i I don't know what, whether there is one more vote dump. I'm hoping. I mean, she is closing the gap, but you just think if she loses by 700 votes in a district that technically has more registered Democrats than Republicans, right? In raging because you just think if one or two more of those city council members had just endorsed her, or you know, I'm not sure first that he endorsed her this time, but I know last time he didn't until like the day before the election. But like, if the party had gotten behind her just a bit. We could have had this phenomenal, brilliant woman mm-hmm. on our city council helping us to figure out solutions right. for a problem that is going to kill us all. <laughs> like, <laughs> it beggars the imagination, honestly. It does. I don't know what people are thinking. but it, It's definitely hopeful, though. I, I actually live in, in the district. And it's, you know, there are less Republicans, but there's a ton of independents out here. Mm. And uh, my can just probably 1,500 homes. <laughs> and mm. just after all of that, it just felt like, I was like, okay, there's there's people that are claiming to be Democrat, but they don't really have, you know, what we think are Democratic values. There's right. independents that are just shut up and over it. And um, there's raving Republicans that are just working very hard to keep their one seat on the on the city yeah. council and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. what are you doing yeah. for yeah. now for for Nithia, who still has a chance, right? Well, Nithia, so Nithia, I canvassed for her a, a few times. Um, I don't want to say a number of times, but it, you know, three or four times during the primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that she's in the runoff, and I mean, really, is only three thousand votes behind Ryu, which is that so incredible. Is fantastic. It's unbelievable. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people sort of in the political establishment when I, like well-known political reporters, told me when I told them that I was canvassing for her, sort of like a, you know, kind of like a pat on the head, kind of like, oh, that's that's, that's, that's cute. But you're doing that, you know she'll never, you know she has no chance. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess we'll see. But, I mean, I was told many, many times she's got no chance. You know that. And what I saw was an incredible, extraordinary ground game, an extraordinary candidate, and uh, like 100 people every weekend showing up to canvas for her, which in a city council race is like, it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. And um, 
It's funny you should mention Ground Game because the name of that group is Ground Game. I know. One of the I major know. groups, right? I know. With they're Jessica phenomenal. Talons. Yeah, they're 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 dynamic, dynamo, whatever you want to call it. They're they're powerful. They're good. They're incredible. Yeah, and there's so many other groups like them sort of springing up. I mean, I think if people have not learned anything else in the last three years, it is how to like show up with their physical bodies and just you know that that we. We don't have to believe that everything is going to turn out okay or that it's going to be, but we do know that when we show up, things change. And so right. people know how to show up now, even when it seems like, oh, we're never going to get Ryu out of office. Like, it's impossible. But people have sort of learned this, like, dogged persistence, which pays off in these incredible ways. And that so much of winning is just the belief that, like, my showing up will make a difference. And right. uh, when I when I see that kind of really exuberant ground game, I and ask them to vote and meet them and pound the pavement and make phone calls. And I think a lot of that got lost over the years as, you know, I guess the Democratic Party has sort of become more of a big money party. I mean, I guess, I don't know, maybe it always was, but it's just like, you know, you can't just rely on big money to get the word out. If you get out there and show up, you got a good shot. Yeah. Is yeah. there, can you tell us uh, how, even though you may lose, because we have so often been behind losing campaigns, um, it, that it can actually move things in the direction you want? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, so in my own congressional district, my congressman is Jimmy Gomez who is, you know, he's a member of the Progressive Caucus. He's, you know, considered a progressive on paper. Um, but for this district, which is like a very heavily sort of Bernie, you know, like this, I would guess that 80% of this district voted for Bernie. Like this is a very, very left-leaning district. And I, I would say the average um, constituent is not super psyched about him. Like they're, they're, they, they see that they wish he were further to the left. So in this last election, he had uh, three challengers. Um, and between the three challengers, I think they picked up almost 50% of the vote. So he got enough to, you know, he, he's fine, but he only got like 51, 52% of the vote. Maybe it's 53 now. I haven't checked. So it's too bad that we had some really interesting challengers who, who didn't win. But when something like that happens, there is a very clear and resounding message being sent to the incumbent in this case that, like, you're not secure in your job. Mm. And give it one more two-year cycle, and we might find another candidate, and we might get you out. So I already saw him let that happen, and he did a tele-town hall last night. Now, he almost never does town halls. So, and and we've been pushing him to. Um I guess I will say I have been pushing them too, but many of us have. And so you sort of start to see this like, oh, I guess I have to pay a bit more attention. I also think we'll start to see this on the city council, especially if Nithya actually empties through, which I think she will, that, that they'll start to realize like, oh, geez, you know, this is not, 
our saying here is not a foregone conclusion. We may have to actually do our jobs, and we <laughs> may actually have to start acting like Democrats, like progressive Democrats. So that that is the reason that even when you don't win, you know, um, scaring the person who does win is is critical. It's huge. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, you know. It's pretty incredible that, that Lorraine came within 700 votes of Lee. I mean, that definitely has to have some kind of impact on, on Lee. So I'm hopeful yeah. in this district. Yeah, I still, I still would like it. In that case, I'd like it to be a win. Because to me, that just means like 700 doors is so few that I feel like I could have knocked those myself. <laughs> you know, like that, that, that almost becomes like a personal failing. I just feel like, oh, that's so few votes. Like that's just a handful. But you know, it is I mean, they were using, they were definitely using some dirty tactics to get oh. at voters out mm-hmm. here, um, for sure. And and there yeah. was a lot of money behind Lee. Yeah. I think now that he's had this FBI scandal, um, that could, I don't know, four years from now, maybe not, but. I think the question down, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen other city council members stay in office for quite a long time with an indictment, and it doesn't seem to... <laughs> doesn't yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see it on the federal level, too. It just is something that people, for some reason, don't... It's, it doesn't seem to bother voters enough to make a difference. So, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we had several candidates that the... I mean, can I say the bike community? Is that a thing? Was was enthusiastic about bike the vote, you know, and made endorsements. And uh, Lorraine and Nithya were both we were optimistic about. And um, you know, well, the good news about the good news about Nithya is, um, you know, Rue. There was Sarah K. Levy as well. So had I would think that those votes would go to Nithya because. I'm, I'm guessing there's just a lot of, like, anti-Grew sentiment. Um, he kind of pissed off a bunch of people in Beechwood and, and uh, I think even kids. in Hancock Park. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, he, he pissed some people off. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of people looking for another solution. And Nitya is just amazing. We had her on the show and it was just incredible um, how, uh, how well spoken she is, and and uh, very in tune on on the the solutions, at least that that I as a progressive want to see happen in the city. So. And she yeah. says we need just to keep it to bikes here. She said we need a network of protected bike lanes. That's really a network that really goes places. Yeah, uh, no, true. And and it, it it's, it'll be a battle. I mean, when I was canvassing for her, I talked to one guy in Silver Lake who you know. She said, well, I, I want to know how she, where she stands on road diets. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah, right, the road diet thing. So, so we basically, he and I sort of started talking about road diets, and I was, he said, I'm opposed, you know, I have to drive to work, and I hate the traffic. And I said, well, I guess I'm coming at it from a different perspective myself because I'm an environmentalist. And so, and he interrupted me, and he said, you're an, of course, we're all environmentalists here. Of course we are. Look at this neighborhood. We're all environmentalists, but I need to get to work. And he was so crazy. So right. he could he could not acknowledge that road diets were something that is that just we just like he doesn't you know it's like I want clean air but not if it makes me have to get out of my car so it's a it's a I want you know sure people should be able to bike but not if it means I have to hey I, I'm gonna bring in anybody anybody that can that can bring up 
whenever I'm out canvassing and somebody specifically says road diet, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. They're going to be against it, first of all. Because it's not a a partisan issue. Hey, can can we bring Glenn Bailey in now on this? Yeah. Yeah, let's bring Glenn, Glenn Bailey. He's worked on a road diet with uh, me, actually. From I my house. you hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's get him on. Let's talk road diets. All right. Love it. Yeah. We have Glenn Bailey on the line. You do? Hey, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. <laughs> hey, Glenn. Hi. And the good news is it's a landline, so uh, quality should be pretty good. Yeah. All right. That's so, hilarious. You, I didn't Don, realize it was you texting me. You, Don, <laughs> you want to intro? Yes. Glenn? Yeah, so Glenn Bailey. Um, he is the, for our audience out there that doesn't know Glenn Bailey, um, I've known Glenn Bailey for a long, long time, uh, in bike years, I guess. Um, he's the chairperson of the City of Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee and an officer with the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition. He also currently serves as president of the Northridge East Neighborhood Council, which includes the campus of my alma mater, Cal State Northridge. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you very much. I've been listening in for most of the most of the show. Good. Right on. So we were we were just getting to the topic of road diets. Um, so I was that was I mentioned that you we're, we're out here, I mean, you're in Northridge, and we were working on that Wilbur Avenue road diet about 10 years ago, um, trying to get that to happen, and working all the politics out here against uh, our friend Mitch Englander, who was the city council, he was the chief of staff at the time, but he became a city council member out here. Yeah, right around, right around that time. Yeah. The interesting story about that stretch was we already had bike lanes on Reseda Boulevard, which was half a mile to the to the east, but because the neighborhoods of the southerly portion of Wilbur between Nordoff and Devonshire, basically, or Chatsworth Street, um, there's three elementary schools that draw kids from the other side of Wilbur, which is a um, pretty wide street um, for most of the stretch up there. And um, the community, the lower part of, of the Wilbur, the bottom, what, three miles, two and a half miles, we're saying, can you slow down the traffic because they're all coming from the hills and Porter Ranch, and they're using Wilbur as a cut-through street to avoid traffic on Tampa and Respita, which do have more traffic because they're on and off ramps to the freeways, both the 101 uh, Ventura Freeway to the south and the 118 Freeway to the north. So they use Wilbur as their cut-through traffic, a cut-through route, and um, two lanes each way, crosswalks that connect the elementary schools with the other side of the community that they that those elementary schools serve. So even if one car stopped because they saw a kid in a crosswalk, the second car may not have realized that there was a little kid there um, and not stopped. So there were injuries and just the speed, speeds reported what 60 miles an hour and higher on a what was then a 35 mile an hour street through a residential area. Right. So Don, you and your neighbors went around, got, you know, canvassed the neighborhood for those 
hundreds and hundreds of homes and found that 75% of the residents signed petitions supporting putting in the bike lanes, supporting slowing down the street by moving it to one lane each direction, but adding a center lane for left-hand turns so that people could safely queue to be able to make a left-hand turn. And um, so the bike, the bike lanes in that case were just sort of, um, you know, it wasn't driven primarily by the bike lanes. I think the bike lanes were an added benefit, but um, it was a solution that worked for those, you know, for that stretch of Wilbur. Now, of course, that pissed off the, can I use that word on? <laughs> you can use any word. So the folks up in <laughs> the folks up in Porter Ranch, of course, were not happy about their little cut-through uh, area stretch, and especially how fast some of them went. Um, you know, freeway speeds, really. So I yeah. do, I do remember one meeting at Nobel. Sorry, it was at yeah, it was a Nobel Middle School. Um, you know, people showed up in the hundreds. I think we were like four. Big old town hall. Yeah, it was a joint uh, neighborhood council session to decide uh, whether to get rid of the road diet or not. And, um, you know, it's good that you mentioned that the bike lanes were sort of um, not the focus. They they weren't the focus in any of the, you know, I went went house to house with a couple other people. and got petition signatures, I didn't even talk about bikes. I just talked about the middle turn lane, being able to take out your trash without getting run over, and, uh, you know, property values, having less cut-through traffic in front of your house, you know, kind of, kind of quality of life things. And it just never mentioned bikes. And uh, people tried to make it about bikes at that town hall, sort of, but... Um, the focus was really on safety, and in, in in our research, I don't know if that was you that found it or uh, forget who, but there was like a uh, community plan from like 1999 that called for slowing speeds on Wilbur. That it was a problem. There were, you know, Alex Thompson did a did a research on um, on uh, the, the the Twitter's uh, data and found that like five people died on the street. In, 10 years or something like that. And so it was really focused on safety and, and people, the road diet stayed. I mean, they modified it a little bit, but, but it ended up staying because it really was a safety improvement. These crosswalks were easy to get across, easier to get across. Um, people were able to turn into their driveways, um, whereas normally you'd be stopping in the fast lane to make a left into your driveway. You're now stopping in a turn lane so the cars can still travel past you. There's all kinds of things like that that are beneficial for road guides. And people just sort of focus on the the one thing, which is their, you know, the, there's some backup during school drop-off or there's backup, you know, one or one hour of the day there's backup where the rest of the, the time it's a safe street. You know? Yeah, and, you know, Wilbur basically dead end south of off, it doesn't cross the road track, so it's not like it's a it's a it's a thoroughfare that goes you know from freeway to freeway like some of the other thoroughfares do. Right. But, but because Reseda Boulevard is congested because of the university traffic. 
kind of thing. So, but on the other hand, people, you know, have a right when you've got a street that basically it is residential. There's no businesses on it. Um, and uh, but but I I do use Wilbur because it was a success. Because what it was was the people who live there organized. They demonstrated their support, overwhelming support, and they were able to counter the opposition from the folks who didn't live there who were using it as the cut through. And even though maybe they weren't the majority at something like that town hall, they were significant enough of a voice that the politicos realized, you know, we've got, there is some support here for this, significant support, if, if not a majority of the folks. But really, what really should count is the people who actually live there. It, right. You know, it, it, the, um, you know, the, uh, the decisions should not be made because of what people in other areas may want. So, anyway, so that, I consider that success story. It was a fight. Um, it was not pretty, but, you know, <laughs> but it, uh, you know, it's still there today. Now the problem is, you know, I get people saying, some people who are probably haven't been on a bicycle for 50 years or maybe never, saying, I never see a bike, you know, on, you know, there using it but I um, see bikes on Wilbur every single day yeah that's great that's yeah. great that's great so, so if it comes back down to it we're ready to battle if John Lee comes around and starts talking about getting rid of those he put a motion forward I mean we can get into all these little wonky things about Northridge whatever but the greater dialogue is like these you know things are not static and things that we win can go away and you got to stay on top of it and Glenn you're right people show up it makes a big difference so you know it's like you know talking talking to Jessica about what she's been doing um, you know they're getting people are showing up so when people show up things change so we just got to remember that Glenn, can you can you just refresh us about what the Bicycle Advisory Committee is and what it does? Yes. When Mayor Brad, shortly after Mayor Bradley was elected in 1973, there were some bicycle, I'm not sure if the word activists was used back then, but they were basically folks who were promoting bicycling uh, in the city of L.A., so 1973, 1974. And they felt that there should be a group dedicated to um, promoting bike, bicycling in, in L.A. City. And so I think maybe six months, we, there's no real documentation that we found. But I would say within the first year of Mayor Bradley's term, 73-74, he established the city's Bicycle Advisory Committee. And for that purpose, to advise the city elected officials, but also the city department on, on all things bicycle. And he structured it with four, with 19 members total, with four appointees by the mayor, because he created it, and, <laughs> and one appointee from each of the 15 council members, so a total of 19. And um, basically that has remained, that is the structure uh, to this day, except that last um, last June, um, we had 
someone who had some influence over uh, someone who um, is kind of kind of has its own reputation in the bicycling community. But Councilmember Coret put in a motion to allow there to be alternates on the bicycle committee, which which is if the member was not present at the meeting, then the alternate could be there and help us achieve quorum, which has been an issue, especially when we, at some point, we we had a few years where we weren't fully appointed um, and you know people not showing up. And so we had a few meetings uh, where the, we didn't have a quorum to you know conduct business. We could still do public comment, we could still hear presentations. So, um, so that was adopted by city council. We now have the alternate, the ability to have alternates for all 19 seats. Right now, we only have one that's actually been officially appointed, um, which is Council District Five, uh, Councilmember Kretz, which is the person who was pushing that. So we have um, we have that opportunity available to anyone who is interested in in getting involved. So we mainly um, for for many years the Bicycle Advisory Committee was staffed by uh, the mayor's office under Mayor Bradley, and you know he was mayor for um, I think four terms, and so that was quite a quite a long time. Um, and then um, after that, it transitioned to Department of Transportation, and that has um, uh, been stronger and then weaker and then stronger and. We currently are being staffed by the Department of Transportation. Um, by staffed, what I mean is that they are tasked with providing updates to the committee as far as different uh, bicycle infrastructure projects that they are involved with, either the lead agency or working with other city departments in putting them in. So that could be bicycle lanes, that could be bicycle paths, um, that could be bridge projects. LA River bike path. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, so, and so that's the primary department, but you know, there are a number of other city departments that, that touch uh, bicycling issues, and we can have a conversation about that as well. Well, so you do have a couple of vacancies, you said, in case somebody's yeah. able to. What are the yeah. districts that have vacancies? So we have Council District 9, current price. Um, it's actually been vacant for a couple of years, and we've reached out to some of the community-based groups. We've obviously contacted the council office, so um, I don't know if it's just no one has come forward that they felt comfortable appointing or what, but if anyone is in Council District 9 you know, they sh who are, who's interested, um, they certainly should contact uh, Council Member Price's office and ask uh, Someone someone whispered to me at the last uh, bicycle advisory committee meeting I went to that District Nine may not care about bikes. Well, that um, that would be unfortunate because um, there are projects that are. Um, so first of all, there's a lot of a lot of the high injury network which is driving a lot of the current bicycle project now. Mm -hmm. Are in are in this council district nine, so um, I I would be very disappointed if if an elected official is not um, you 
motivated enough to the safety of its of of his constituents to um, you know take advantage of every opportunity to provide a voice for his constituents um, at every table. And you know, there's many different commissions and advisory committees, etc. Bicycles is one of them. So I would hope that um, I would hope that that's not true, and that there's some other reason. But, um, yeah, that's just gossip. So current current price is one. Is there are there any other uh, vacancies? Yes. Then we we relatively recently had a vacancy with Council District 13 with Mitchell Farrell, mm-hmm. and that's relatively recent. I know there's um, who is who is that representative before? Uh, Terrence Houston. Oh, really? Oh, he's not representing anymore. Yeah, he decided to focus on his his, his you know. Uh, project that he's worked on, Sunset Boulevard, something like right. that. Sunset for all, yeah. yeah. Um, oh. And then we just uh, just recently um, uh, had a vacancy actually for a mayoral appointee. Um, David Wolfberg, his uh, father, uh, George Wolfberg, who actually was a, a member of the BAC back decades ago, just, wow. just passed away, and David needed to deal with some family uh, situation. So um, there's now an opening for mayoral appointee, which can be anywhere in the city of L.A. Mm. So that, that's a reason. Um, but again, I will emphasize that new, relatively new from, you know, from the 45-year history of the Bicycle Advisory Committee, we now have, we now have uh, 18 alternate positions that have opened up. So mm. and being an alternate, you know, might be a good lead-in if there's a vacancy for any other other seat mm-hmm. uh, for someone then to, um, you know, step up. I was uh, at the last, I think it was the last meeting. You meet every two months? Maybe it was Correct. the... And uh, so much interesting things were going on. I mean, you had Route 66, the bike route. You had um, city planning come there and talk about their work in the valley and bike routes. I mean, do you, I guess if it's, you save up stuff for two months at a time, you, each of the meetings is pretty jam-packed with items, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Um, sometimes we initiate presentations and sometimes um, some committee members say, hey, you know, what about this? Um, and sometimes, you know, issues, uh issues come directly to BC, or maybe they've gone through our subcommittees, and then, um, you know, it, it helps to have a presentation again for all the all the entire committee, so that um, maybe they weren't at the subcommittee. So, yes, um, that's not unusual to have, have a variety of folks uh, come in. Um, but last year, we had quite a few of the um, mobility companies um, visit with us. Scooters. Um, we had like the scooter, scooter companies and things. Yeah, mostly it was the scooter company. You know, some of them did have bicycle um, products too, but uh, mm-hmm. mainly it was it was an attempt to see that we can find common ground. We could work together to um, make the streets safer for both bicyclists and for scooters. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was you know having a dialogue. Um, with the various companies, um, you know, was, uh, yeah. I would think that you could 
build a coalition with the scooter companies, the electric bike companies, the bike and pedestrian lobby, and I want to throw developers in there, but they're like totally evil, but they have a lot of money and influence, and do something there to transform LA. Well, that was definitely our intent to, you know, have the different, um, I call them mobility because they weren't all just scooters, but primarily scooters. Um, And, you know, there are some things that need to be worked out. And, um, of course, now we have, you know, a crisis situation. They were about to um, position themselves with, you know, after the first year of a, of a, test presence in the city, uh, you know, iron out all the wrinkles so that they could proceed for, you know, for a more permanent presence. Jessica, did you know about the Bicycle Advisory Committee? Did I know about the what? The Bicycle Advisory Committee. The I did not, and I'm ashamed to admit that because I, I, I was on the neighborhood council, and, and I, I feel like I should have known. I did not know. This is I, I'm, I'm so thrilled listening to this. I kind of want to see if I can join it myself, but I know I probably can. So. <laughs> what district are you again? What's my what? Your district, your city council district. Oh, uh, city, city one, Gilsadia. Yeah, do we have a do we have a representative? We do. I guess you do, but like I said, we've got. All of our alternate seat open. The seats are open except for one. So that one is open. So uh, we'll have to talk after <laughs> the call. <laughs> How? Who is the uh, representative for Gil Cedillo's district? It's Jessica. He's Jennifer. Sorry, yeah. it's Jennifer. Sorry, it's not right. Jessica yet. Jennifer Gil. Jennifer Gil. Yeah, that's right. Okay, she's great. I was just curious because. Uh, you know, Gil Cedillo has like such a bad reputation with bicyclists, but Jennifer Gill is a great appointee. Yeah, so, so sometimes you have, like you mentioned, Caretz. There's a lot of frustration with him in the bicycle community, but whoever his appointee is is obviously a, an avid, you know, a bike activist or advocate. And the same with Gil Cedillo, who probably couldn't be worse. I mean, his what's his nickname? Roadkill Gill. <laughs> That sounds right. But he's got uh, Jennifer Gill, who rides her bike everywhere and doesn't have a car. So how are people getting along with their council members when they're not supportive? So, you know, that is kind of a balancing act of how far you can, you know, what you can get done and what you can't get done. So obviously in CD5, we haven't been able to get Westwood Boulevard done, right? But um, That's correct. that doesn't mean we don't communicate um, that we don't try to get other things um, supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and obviously some council members are more supportive than others. Um, we had hoped that when Tom Labonge um, left city council, that the next council member would be supportive of some of the projects that had been on hold. But unfortunately, that, you know, we haven't seen... Um, we haven't seen them being implemented uh, as we, you know, had hoped. But that doesn't mean that, you know, other things aren't supported. Um, just because someone opposes individual projects, maybe because um, homeowners, the yeah, the local constituents 
are very noisy and organized. And, um, you know, but it also means, you know, try to find a compromise, find, find something, find a solution. Jessica, which of your groups would be like, I don't know, an ally of, of the Bicycle Advisory Committee? The Eli Climate Collective. I, I think any of my climate groups would be. Um, and and then, uh, I mean, every activist group I'm in is, is desperate for um, more climate leadership. And, and therefore, again, like it, it all dovetails together. So um, I, 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 I can't think of a single one of the groups that I'm involved with that would not be a good ally for this. I mean, Tom LaBonge is the first that's uh, CD4, right? That's where Rue is now. Am I correct? I think, yeah, right? So this is why we're working so hard to elect Nithia, because I think Nithia, and, and to be fair, Sarah Kate Levy would have also, like, enacted all of I mean, she's going to be a huge ally. Um, so for me, I approach it from an electoral perspective of just, like, who can we get in office who will stop putting up roadblocks? Um, so I want to I want to put out a shout-out to entities that maybe wouldn't be the first suggestion you'd, you'd come up with, but there are quite a few of the folks on the Bicycle Advisory Committee now who were or are Neighborhood Council board members. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's how they got to be known to their council members to be appointed, but um, I think that's a great potential there. First of all, if their current member um, or or not, and they still have that relationship, then that's a great inroad. We have 99 neighbor councils in the city of L.A. We have a bicycle advisory committee of 19. That's 20% of the councils, and then and some people know their neighboring councils, et cetera. And, and the neighbor councils have sometimes been the, you know, one of the stumbling blocks with, you know, getting, getting projects moving forward. Sometimes they've been supportive, too. But having someone who uh, strides both the bicycle advocacy side as well as the neighbor council side is, I think, a good thing. Uh, first of all, you've got the eyes and ears there if something comes up. Um, both, you know, the Mar Vista and Venice Boulevard negative side of things, but also if a project is... Uh, maybe comes up from the bicycle advocacy side that could then be pushed over to the neighbor council side. And most of the neighbor councils seem to have deputies from each of the council members uh, there at their meetings. So they start hearing positive comments, or better yet, the neighbor council votes to support a bicycle project. You know, that will help us move things along. And especially we're not fighting. So um, I know it's difficult it's more meetings but um, it is something that uh, every time every election cycle for neighbor councils I certainly encourage cyclists to run and try to get elected there's vacancies that occurred during in the intervening two years you know it's, I know it's I know it's just a, a you know additional meetings per month at least one per month but um, in normal times right now we're not in normal times but um, you're you're um, the president of the Northridge East Neighborhood Council. Right. Did you have those uh, anti-BRT people? Did so you have our them? neighborhood council, everyone voted in support of moving forward on the bus rapid transit project, except for one. 
So that kind of shows you kind of where their head's at. We also had a motion to support a extension of the Zelda Avenue bike lane along the east side of Cal State Northridge campus. That was supported. So I, I, in that respect, yeah, I guess I'm lucky being involved with a group of folks who are looking for solutions to the traffic problem. Um, but yes, there are definitely a lot of our constituents that were not uh, supportive of you know, even looking at the environmental impacts or set, doing a study. And, um, you know, they went from meeting to meeting, different neighborhood councils, I saw them. And um, so we, we had quite a session um, last fall. So. The uh, LADOT here said they're not going to do town hall-style meetings anymore about, you know, to get community feedback because of how easily they're hijacked by these opponents. Yes, I've seen a lot of, not just, DOT, but, you know, even Metro, you know, they'll set up display boards in, you know, around the, around the edges of the room, and you go from display board to display board, um, you know, and talk with different aspects of the project there. But ultimately, we, the, you know, neighborhood councils, and frankly, the Bicycle Advisory Committee, I mean, we're public entities, public bodies, and, you know, we, if we're to take a position, it's on our agenda, and we, we are... We allow public comment. It's, it's the law, and so you listen to the public, uh, whatever whatever comment they wish to make, and then the board makes the, you know does their discussion, and then we vote. Is your vote? Do people solicit that? I mean, are people like I got the bicycle advisory committee vote, and I'm, that's it. We're golden, or is it just one of many voices? Usually, on a, I would think sometimes it's the only voice, but um, yeah, on, on projects that are not bicycle specific or. Um, I would say more controversial. Yeah, you'll have other groups weigh in. Um, and that's why I'm, I am pushing a plug for mobility advocates, bicycle advocates to get involved with their local neighborhood council because neighborhood councils represent a cross-section of the community, theoretically. Many of them do more so. Um, in other words, it's not just residents. There's business representation. There's um, religious and educational and just a, a you know whole cross section there, and the council members, most council members, kind of know that you know that they need to pay attention to their neighborhood councils. Um, they can't ignore them without potential consequences. So to the to the extent that we can um, partner, and we you know the, the bicycle advisory committee is going to support a bicycle project. We may say tweak it here, tweak it there, but if we can also get the neighbor council support, you know, I think we're we're on our way, then we just need to get the council members support. Jessica, I'm surprised you're not on the neighborhood council. I was. I oh, was right. on the Royal Sacred Neighborhood Council for, for two years, and, and yeah, I'm just sitting here nodding my head sort of oh, avidly at everything that Glenn is saying. I, I agree. I mean, we had a transportation committee um, that was very uh, sort of focused on bicycles and, and, and the Vision Zero thing, and, you know, um, it is a, it's an extraordinary way to get involved, and, you know, when I ran for the Neighborhood Council, it was just a, I applied, and they had a vacancy, and it was very easy to get on. Sometimes it's harder, it depends on the district and the time, but this was an open seat, and um, it is amazing. You, you get on there, and suddenly you are, you really are a, a, a immediately being, you know, involved in the city's decisions, it may feel like it's on a smaller level, but 
very much do get to know the representative for the city council in your district. They, he or she is at every single meeting. And um, mm-hmm. you do. I mean, it's a, it's a small amount of influence, but it is unquestionably influential on the city council members. And I totally agree. You do get a great cross-section of the, of the, uh, you know, the districts that you cover. And, but, but people do care and you do have a voice. You can write, um, letters to the, to the city council that they're required to file, um, with various motions that they're voting on and, and they are required to take what you say into consideration. So I, I would second that. I mean, if you're a bike activist or environmentalist that are, that they would love to have you on the neighborhood council and there are committees there that they would love to have you on. They were always looking for more people to be on the transportation committee and on the, you know, sustainability alliance, on the homelessness committee. I mean, that they really are looking for community members to get involved, and you can do a lot of good. So I second everything you're going to say. Okay, so I have to get on my neighborhood uh, council. It's really fun. It's really fun. And mine had free dinner every month at the Well, so when are all of yours next meetings? Right now, the, well, first of all, all meetings were suspended by the mayor um, last week. Um, No city facilities can be used. So this is very unusual times, as you know. But um, the next, and this this is true for neighborhood councils as well as bicycle advisory committee and every other city entity except for city council now once a week. but the next regularly scheduled bicycle advisory committee meeting is the first Tuesday, even numbered month, which would be April 7th. And the governor just uh, signed an, an executive order to allow legislative bodies, which were considered one because we're appointed by elected officials, to meet by teleconference. Mm-hmm. So, so what we're um, what we'd like. But what I put out to the members of the BAC is would they be willing to try, it's kind of short notice, but for our April 7th meeting and possibly for June until this crisis is over, of meeting via teleconference, um, I've suggested via Zoom, for example, mm-hmm. and that would accommodate the public that you know they could then join the meetings from home. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure exactly how we'd... Um, be able to do the public comment, but you know, there's clearly a place on the agenda for public comment for non-agenda items. For each of the agenda items we deal with, there's a place for, you know, time for doing public comment there. Well, and, there's these webinars. I sometimes I get call, uh, conference calls from like the the American Federation of Teachers that have thousands of people on them, and yet people are still able to make comments. Just ordinary people. Right, it's, it's exactly the same model. Um, um, I only mentioned this one because the Department of Neighbor Empowerment utilized it last week uh, for 245 neighbor council wow. leaders. So um, okay. that's that's far more than the number of people we currently have uh, attending the bicycle advisory committee and most neighbor council meetings, for that matter. But um, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe if it's more convenient, more people will actually participate. But it's at the governor's. Executive order is temporary only during this emergency situation. But maybe if we make a go of it, we're successful. If we respect the public's right to uh, participate, and and the people like it, you know, maybe we might find a way to do it in the 
future as well. So I would just say, you know, stay tuned. We are part of the City of LA's early notification system, so people can sign up to subscribe to receive our meeting notices, um, just as they can for neighborhood councils at lacity.org, www.lacity.org, and they just go to agenda and then they fill up. They can subscribe to any of the agendas that they are interested in. And if it would serve uh, your purposes at the BAC, we would be willing to live stream it on Bike Talk. Okay, that would be, yeah, that'd be good. Now, the thing is, we may not personally, because we can't meet at Hollywood City Hall like we usually do, um, there may not be a single place where the entire Bicycle Advisory Committee is there, but if you're able to bring it in for from through the, whatever Zoom. the platform is, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how much graphics there would be, but... Well, just the audio. Um, the audio, right. Okay, that'd be great. And Jessica, you want to tell us about anything? Yeah, we're all sort of... Everything is kind of moved online for the foreseeable okay. future. I mean, uh, my, my group, Feminist in Action, meets every two weeks on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. It's only open to, to women or female identifying. Um, so, sorry, uh, you guys, but um, but that's great. And, and um, uh, we have a website that we can be found on online. And... Um, you know, I'm on I'm on Twitter, uh, Craven Seven Jessica. Uh, you know, right now we're just again like everybody's meeting on uh, on Zoom conferences. It's uh, all, all the invisible meetings have moved there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with County Central Committee. To be honest with you, I, I just am a new member, so I'm not sure how they're going to. They, they meet uh, one Tuesday every month, and I'm not really sure how that will happen. I think it will be online because I, I've noticed that that's how the e-board is meeting. So. Had, had anybody heard of Zoom before this? I had, I had heard of it, but yeah, it's definitely you know, if we were illegal stock buyers like some people I could mention in our government, we could have bought stock in Zoom months ago and done very well. Like our senators? Zoom, Zoom is free, though, right? Or is it? Uh, it's it's only free if you have a 45 minute meeting. So if you want to go over 45 minutes, you have to pay $15 a month. It's fairly affordable. But, uh, but the last two meetings I've had, Dave, um, when we get close to 40 minutes, because we use free accounts, they said, we've we've allowed your meeting to continue on. So. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. oh interesting. That may yeah, be a promotional thing. Right. Uh, you know, but, um, yeah. A lot of companies are stepping up in different ways, like Spectrum is giving free internet to students. Good. That's very cool. You can hope that America, at least I hope, that this time out for America is, like, going to get people to sort of change their perspective a little bit. I feel like America needs, like, a, <laughs> needs to take a time out.
any kind of websites out there. We we, we heard um, we heard a couple, but is there, if there's anything else um, for us to get out there to the audience you want to promote, let us let it be known before we uh, head off the air. I will just say that if anyone is interested, I do publish a, a daily action email called Chocolate Carry Water and. Um, if you want to subscribe, you can find that on Facebook. Uh, the pages you would go to at Chop Carry on Facebook, and I'm I'm just try I try to post as many sort of calls to action there as I can. So if you, you want to know sort of scripts for calling your representatives, and um, I often will post California State there stuff there, and also city stuff. So um, if you're interested in getting more involved, that is a good way to sort of get some action. Yeah. Chop wood, carry water. The yeah. Facebook group. Okay. And Glenn? Uh, yes, we have a uh, presence on Facebook, and uh, it's at Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee, and we have a new website, but I would say the best thing is to go to the Facebook and get linked in there. We also do um, Twitter, but not as often, so I'd say the Facebook is the, the best way. Okay, I follow that group. All right, and, and then, like I said, um, to to receive our agendas, whether we're meeting in person or or um, you know, we get a telephone co- conference, we will have a actual formal agenda. So, going to www.lacity.org and subscribe to get to receive the agendas, not just for the full committee, but also for our subcommittees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then you'll you'll get those whenever they do come out. All right, Jessica, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on and having a great conversation. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having us. This was awesome. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks, Jessica. For sure. All right. All right. Like Talk, KPFK live stream. This is Friday. We're in quarantine, so we had a few hiccups, but uh, we will see you next week. Theme music. Yeah, I know. We're getting the music up, right? It's weird without the music. We don't have. I know. We need some music. Let's do the music. <laughs> let's see if we can. Let's see if we can do the music. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Clean in the green. I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 